Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. How are you today, Sherry? I, I, I'm holding space for all of it. So at any given moment, it's, it is what it is. So I'm not trying to deny any one thing in favor of another, you know, the, in, we talk about this a lot in like in the Buddhist studies, you know, avoidance and cravings. So those are the things that kind of we, we navigate around and that's why the practices are so important. So I'm trying not to avoid anything and hit things straight on. Um, but timing is, is important. And so I'm also trying to read the room and I'm, you know, working on all the things that I'm trying to work on and yeah, I know I'm, I'm doing the same thing with moving. I'm uh, constantly carrying and walking down memory lane. So there has to be some space to walk down memory lane for whatever that's going to have to offer. Mm -hmm. Um, But also to be like, yay, I get to go visit and have an adventure. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's a gratitude with being able to go and have an adventure, but it's not a a toxic positivity, right? Just because there's gratitude doesn't mean that there can't coexist a Mm -hmm. melancholy, right, about changing events. I was calling it gratitude without the goo. (laughs) (laughs) you know because sometimes it can just feel gooey and and it's sweet and sticky and and that there's a time for that and that's nice but you know gratitude can be for feeling all the feelings you know feeling the pain of a situation for you know i i used to i'm so grateful that for a sane mind you know and a sane mind can hold it um and sometimes freak out and sometimes have you know I, I think I wrote a poem the other day on Facebook and I got some response that, you know, um, like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, for me, this process of writing is an exhale. It's a way to just, you know, let it out the way, you know, the, it sort of purifies it, the blood, you know, the oxygenates the body and the out breath kind of just lets it go. And so that's part of, we just talk, everything we talk about is like everything we've ever talked about on the show, you know, that, Um, it's a practice. It's a practice to know when to consciously breathe, (laughs) you know. You know, I just saw, speaking of Facebook, I saw a post that said, um, one of the biggest lies we tell is, I'm fine, Mm -hmm. right? We just put an, I'm fine across everything. So yeah, I agree that 
letting it and letting it out is important. We've talked about the stories the body holds and where we put traumas and joys, like it mm -hmm. holds both stories. It holds everything. It holds yeah. gratitude and it holds, uh, I'm a little bit like frustrated <laughs> and angry with you. So move away, right? right? It kind of holds both, but both need um, a voice of expression. So when we deny it, the body's going to hold it. If we're not oh, looking like at it, the body's going to do something with it. So it's somewhere in the koshas, these truths that we, you know, are kind of trying to manage. Yeah, when we deny it, we're going to hold it. That sounds like a beautiful tagline. <laughs> when we deny it, we hold it. But just like in the um, plannings for what's coming up, uh, I don't mind map so much. So I have a little bit of a list. And then the crazy, this is the, the nuts. Um, but here's just some things I was thinking about. So, so before my mind map, I have lists and crazy, <laughs> and then I organize them so that I can see them in an yeah. overarching holistic view. I thought of you this morning because I've been watching some of the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard case, which I don't usually get sucked into these kinds of things, but the way they're looking at it through body language is fascinating. They have all these experts in body language, people who say, you can't lie to me because I know that the experience of concern or whatever it is happens from the top of the forehead to the eyebrows. And so, or like, judgment or whatever it is and a little smirk of the the what at, or turning your head at a certain point is you know, how often are we talking to someone and then we just turn around the woman this morning was saying she was looking for validation or she was looking for someone to say it's okay i get you um so all of the things the body is telling these stories that we don't even know like she said something like our emotions we don't control our emotions our emotions control us Rochelle's come up a lot with me in like this planning part, but when she said that sometimes the body is the first way in to then be able to get into the mind. So if we work with the fascia, we work with the body, then talk therapy might be more accessible. And, you know, for some, that is the path that, you know, maybe should be walked. One of my teachers, I don't remember, but when you said that said, oh, they were talking about different types of yoga therapy trainings and picking like what your niche is because different trainings, even though they have basically the same certification at the end are not necessarily structured the same. They may have to hit the same learning objectives, but they do it and we have so many different varieties of way that we can come in. And what she said was sometimes yoga, you use the body to get into the mind and other times you use the mind to get into the body. And depending on who you are and what you want your journey to look like or different times within that journey, you're gonna use the tools differently mm -hmm. based on who you're working with or how you're working with yourself. I think it was really good that we started with the koshas. <laughs> you know, cause that they're the ways in, man, you know, the yeah. mind, the body, and then within those two overarching structures are all these more nuanced Koshik experiences. Yeah. So as far as the body, again, Rochelle came up when she said she embodied, you know, the shape of a friend of hers in the mime class and was able to feel like she was her.
Now I'm watching the show Merlin, not the not the Hallmark one that was on TV several years ago. It's on Netflix. Um, really, really good. And now I have this whole other thing about it because they have reimagined the Arthur legend in ways that it first triggered me because I never think I'm a purist and then I start reacting as if I am one. But then I'm really loving the way they're telling the story. And even in the reimagination, even though Uther never lived to see Camelot, he is the king of Camelot in this one. And it's Anthony Stewart head who I freaking love um, and he's doing a great job and oh my and Arthur and Merlin they're so good but so I just watched in season two there is a two-part Beauty and the Beast and it's this troll this I mean and they make her the makeup on this is like that show where they do the um, crazy makeup but um, she's this incredibly disgusting troll farting all the time eating maggot you know rotting food and but then she takes this potion to make her appear um, as Uther's desire which is this Katrina I think this princess Katrina who becomes queen but her whole family had perished he didn't know that though so she appears in this form but she has to keep taking this potion to stay in the form but she's also her nature is troll so she hates being clean she hates the clean she she has to sleep in the dung like she's eating oh I the, the stables were just mucked give me some of that good dung you know so at one point Merlin it substitutes the potion with something that looks and tastes like it but isn't so that she's revealed but my point about all of this is that even when she's looking beautiful by our standards and not the troll standard when the potion starts wearing off, she begins to embody the troll, like she hunches forward, her voice changes, and her facial expressions change, and she becomes the troll even when she is in the appearance of Katrina. And I was so struck by that, I think more because of what we're, these conversations we're having and how as the actor's journey is to inhabit these character traits of something sometimes completely other. And then to be able to bring them both into balance, I was just fucking blown away. The acting in this is so good and the characters are so good. It's a little Pollyanna sometimes. I mean, it's, you know, when you think back to the medieval times, it, it was probably more violent than and like dirty than than what's being presented but i'm i'm lost in it i fucking love it you went right back to our episode on archetypes and <laughs> patterns right she, she just fell right in regardless of what she right? looked like her archetype came out and that was her desires and and what she was looking for i think i do the same thing maybe others do you know um, whatever archetype. Right now I'm uh, embodying my archetype of adventurer because it's time to move, transition, do something different. Mm -hmm. And so I also have to make that transition from homebody. Oh, I'm real comfy and cozy mm -hmm. here. And oh, I got everything <laughs> I need. And whew, look at spring blooming on the farm, everything nice and cozy and homey. Mm -hmm. And But the next part of this archetype is like, oh yeah, but knock, 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 knock. Remember, we have some adventure over here and look what we're going to do. And oh, do you really need all that stuff you're trying to pack up? You can get new stuff when you get back. Right. We're an adventurer. <laughs> we don't need all these ties down. And these archetypes are having this conversation in my head as I pack every box and, <laughs> and give away every little bit of thing that I'm like, yeah, I don't need that again. I can get that one again. So yeah. yeah archetypes and patterns um we just kind of weave in and out of them as um life or circumstance asks for us to yeah 
There's you a poetry. Know, yeah. I really don't like change. I hate change. I like knowing what's going to happen. I like my comfort zone. I like all of those things. And my son said to me, you know what, Ma? You should be, a, you should be more afraid of staying the same than of changing. And it was years and years ago. And it, it stuck with me all this time. I was like, yeah. Oof. You know, that's profound. Like, it is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, when our kids are smarter than us and have, <laughs> oh my gosh, have yeah. these profound things to share. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. And I'm, you know, we see that everywhere. We even talked about that in practices that, you know, if you feel the same 30 years as you did 30, 30 years later, as you did after the first time you sat or practiced, then, you know, what was kind of the point, you know, why are you taking this time to, maybe there is a point, maybe it's just to be still. But I also want to say, like, when I said that, I didn't mean like huge changes. They don't have to be huge. They can be just like, oh, I'm, I can sit more still than I used to be able to. My breath is a little bit deeper. They don't have to be these, you know, um, transformational aha moments all the time, though there hopefully are some along the way. Um, but the more consistent changes are really subtle. They are. And sometimes we don't even notice them until you look back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sometimes we're going through something and we're like, it's either, oh, yeah, this is great. Or mm, ah, I don't want to. And then you move on. You get to the next part of your journey. I get to the next place, the next thing, the next career, the next uh, whatever you want to put after the word next. And you look back and you're like, oh, I never would have been here and found all of this and had this great part of what I've evolved into if I didn't have those tiny little changes that happened along the way. And I think when you said it doesn't have to be this big aha transformation, I think transformations are just the accumulation of tiny little changes along the way. And then one day you're like, huh, wow, look at all these little tiny baby steps I took and here I am. I mean, our podcast is almost a perfect example of it. We've told that story about how we came from book to podcast. Mm -hmm. But then also all of the things we've learned and we're still learning, <laughs> like our conversation last night, how do you put somebody's name into the email? <laughs> you know, seems like an insignificant, like technical detail that needs to get done, mm -hmm. but it's really so powerful. Mm -hmm. um, for me, when people address me with my name, yeah, right. It's a it's a powerful way of building community and staying connected to use our names as we address one another as part of our language. I totally agree. And if I'm on the phone, I've changed a lot on this too because I used to be kind of a, a bitch on the phone if I wasn't sort of getting what I needed in that moment. You know, why are why are the systems so bureaucratic? Why can't you just answer the question? Da da da. da. But I always ask the person, whether it's like a customer service or um, bill paying or whatever it is, I always ask the person's name so that I can refer back the name and I write it down on my pad because I know I will forget in the moment, especially if I'm so distracted by the reason for the call. And but I it, it is nice. It's a sales thing, too. You know, you want people you want to connect with people. Um, I know I used to be really resistant to name tags. I would go to a lot of networking events and I thought, why not just introduce yourself? That's the first, that's the way in. Hey, what's your name? You know, that's a way to, but now I think we need a name tag revolution. 
If we all wore name tags, we could just approach strangers on the street as if they're friends. We could call them by their name and say, good morning, George, how are you today? Good morning, Teresa, how are you today? You know, and then we might be able to bridge this gap between separation and unity and say, we are really all made of the same stuff, you know, and greet each other. Hey, and I'm sorry, I gotta introduce, that's Luna. If you hear her, you may not. But my friend Michelle was listening, it listens to the podcast and she said, I know Siva, but I have not met your animal goddessdom yet on the show. And I don't talk a lot about my animals because they're usually outside doing other things, but I call it the goddessdom instead of the kingdom because three of the four are female and the fourth is a cat. So, you know, neutered cat. So be, just go right in there. We've got Luna the dog, <laughs> Sweetie the dog, Buffy and Angel the cats. <laughs> when I moved, <laughs> and welcome to all of our four-legged <laughs> friends. And if we took a step outside here on the farm, we could also meet yeah. another Luna, but he's a goat. <laughs> yeah, Luna yeah, and yeah. Belle are the goats. Um, <laughs> when I moved to Pennsylvania, my sons were young, um, maybe middle school age, and we would have to go out and do your, your errands you know, go to the food store, go to the bank, you know, and they would be in tow with me and we would be making step by step. Mm -hmm. But I developed a habit young that if somebody was wearing a name tag, I always address them by their name, whether I'm checking out at the grocery store or where I am, I would say, hi, Mary, how are you? Or thank you, John, for, you know, for helping us today. And at the end of the day, my son said to me, mom, how do you know everybody's name and why do you talk to every single person you meet we just moved here how do you know who all these people are already and i was like i don't know them they're just wearing a name tag i just like address them by the name that's on their tag uh -huh. and they're like huh why i said it makes me feel good and i bet it makes them feel good too for somebody to just use their name mm -hmm. but it was so profound. They thought that like within a week or two of me, me moving to a brand new place, I knew everybody in town. <laughs> That's magical. That's like magic in some ways is illusion, right? You know, you're up on the stage and the magician's doing its thing and, you know, there's all this illusion. But the magic is real. And when you call someone by their name and your young child doesn't know that there's a name tag, there's something magical, mystical about this connection. You know, and then we learn stuff and we're like, oh, it's not whatever, it's this. And, but I don't think it's any less magical to be able to, when we connect with other people. Um, yeah, I, I'm doing that thing. I'm waiting for like the, uh, the body language expert. Like, what is this? I'm always doing this. Am I really concerned all the time as I furrow my brow? Um, talked about I, that. Oh, yep. Go ahead. No, no. Oh, I was gonna say, I did write some, some gratitude notes. So you had also talked um, earlier on our other planning session about memory. And I think that this is also something that, you know, the embodied memories, and we say that our memories are hold, held in our bodies, like, and that our stories that we tell about ourselves are based in memory. You know, it's how we remember whatever happened and then how we choose to tell it. 
you know, and how we choose to tell it may show up in the different koshas and you know, our different, um, whether we were told the story so many times that that's how we remember it, the way we were told, whether we actually remember it and how, what, how old were we when that happened? You've talked about this before. It was my eight-year-old self who remembered this. And so am I retelling it as my eight-year-old self or am I embellishing it with all the things I've learned in the interim years? This idea of false memory, this idea of mem remembering past lives. And the other day I was watching, I was falling asleep and I don't love to watch TV before sleep, but um, if it's on, I will. Uh, and Flashdance was on. And Flashdance does for me like that final scene where she gets the courage to do the dance and you know it's the professional dancer, not really Jennifer Beals doing it because they don't really look anything alike. But suspension of disbelief um, is a good thing. But as a, as a youth, as a teenager watching that, and same with the movie Fame, the original movie Fame with Irene Cara, those, when I watch those, my body has an experience. My body has an experience of remembering my dreams, my big, big, big dreams of my youth. The things that I imagined my life was going to be and how, who I was going to be on that journey from the perspective of a 14, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old. You know, and so watching that scene, I, I get thrilled. I couldn't sleep after it. I was just, you know, got a feeling, you know, beings believing. And I just like, you can have it all. And I really believe that I could have it all. But what did all mean then? And what does all mean now? Because in some ways, I feel like I do have it all. Um, but it, does, it doesn't appear, it doesn't look the same way as it did when I imagined it then. We can, I mean, we could talk about, um, you know, these memories. We also, uh, in that same conversation, talked about watching videos of self. Now, our childhood videos are on <laughs> eight millimeter films with not great voice and um, not the most skilled of camera angles. So they're not quite as lifelike as children who are growing up right now with everybody having an iPhone in our pockets and not missing any important or not even just, not even, I'm not, I don't wanna say it's not important. Um, I'm gonna say either big event or everyday events that are filmed and kids, young children now re-watching their videos from yesterday or a week ago or a month ago or when they were infants. These, they see them so often, at least I know that I'm, I love photography, so I have a lot and I'll share those videos with my grandkids and say, hey, look at this, this is a video I took of you. But then I started to realize that I'm showing them my memories of my time with them, but they're seeing how they interacted with me at times that they might not even have memories of doing that. It'll be really interesting um, for us to be flies on the wall when they're having this conversation. Right. And those, we also talked about social media and its impact on our memories. You know, I, I go through a lot of my reels have little kids on them, like doing cute things. Like I'm not supposed to tell mommy that I had pizza today. And then, oh, mommy, I had pizza today. You know, just like these really cute little things. And I think on the one hand, we were just talking about holding space for all the experiences. On the one hand, oh, isn't that adorable? 
And then the other part of me is thinking this kid is performing for the camera because dad or mom has created a situation where they know they're going to get positive response. They know that they're going to get all these likes and hearts and the dopamine in their bodies are going to start surging. And then there's this, um, we develop, I think we're creating a certain narcissism, a need for that validation from the outer world in order to feel our cuteness, our sweetness, our kindness, whatever it is, our humor. And I don't know that it's, it's not all bad or all good. I mean, I don't think it's, it's all good at all, and I, but I don't think it's all bad, but I think we need to see how each generation reacts to the one before. So the generation right before my kids was the generation of all the kids getting trophies, all the kids getting, you know, the participation awards and all of that. Um, the ones before you really had to earn it. And then there was a response to that, you know, where people are saying, but wh why are we just giving this away? Our kids have become entitled. Our kids have become, you know, and I'm not saying across the board, it's not a blanket statement, but I think there's a seed of entitlement in a lot of that generation. Um, how it plays out may not always be, especially if you also learn gratitude, if you're also holding space for other things that can temper it or, or balance that out. But our responses to the choices of our predecessors are also really interesting, which keeps us <laughs> moving cyclically. You know, that, that's why things are not so, so linear because we always come back around. There's only so many responses. <laughs> yeah. I've been in a lot of car rallies. Um, Larry has an, has an MG and there was a lot of car rallies that we participated in and we won a lot of them. Like our name is on the trophy a lot. It's something I'm really, we, we as a team, we're really good at. He's the driver, I'm the navigator, but I'm a very observant person. And so when somebody says, look for this, um, I find it because it's just, it feels easy for me to notice things that are around me. So in the, there's this one particular rally and we got so lost and so turned around. Um, we were so late coming back into the rally. We were the last people in, which is so, un, it, it's very unusual for us. Uh, but it was good because of the rally, they have a trophy called dead last but finished. <laughs> So we're like, oh, well, now we're going to get a different trophy. We're going to get the dead last but finished trophy. And don't you know, while they're giving out the trophies, another team that had the lowest score but came in early argued that they should have the dead last but finished because their score was the lowest. Therefore, they were dead last and they finished. And I, and I looked at them and I was like, are you really arguing for the last place? <laughs> Here, take it. <laughs> if you want it, you can have it, but come on, it's last place. <laughs> they were up there arguing that, oh, that's they, that that's what dead last but finish meant. And I was like, here's your trophy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Got to fill that mantle. Got to make sure, you know, I have one little trophy and it's from high school and I keep it up there. It was best actress award at Westchester University. Um, I did a, a one act play through my, my high school and it's, you know, it's the one that I won and I love it. And it doesn't have my name on it because they didn't know who was going to win. And it was, you know, a, a regional acting competition. And, um, but I'm very proud of that. <laughs> it shows I did something good once. <laughs> thing that was great about the car rally trophy is that there's one trophy with uh -huh. little um 
with little engraving plates on the base of it. Mm -hmm. So you get to hold it for six months until oh, the next rally. That's awesome. And then it gets passed to the next people. So they get to see everybody who won this mm -hmm. cup. Um, and it's a big trophy, so I'm glad we had to pass it along. But, <laughs> uh, you get to see and be in community with everybody who's ever won it. You get it for six months. And if you don't win the next time, you pass it off to the next people. The perfect trophy for a minimalist. You right, reduce, reuse, it. recycle. Mm -hmm. I, I, wait, I lied. My brother gave me a trophy once because I was in his room. I'm really little. He's about eight years older than I am or seven and a half years older than I am. And he had gotten so many trophies for so many. He's good at everything he does. And I remember feeling really sad. I was a little kid and I was like, oh, I remember you get a trophy. And he took a little tiny, like one of those cup trophies that have little handles and it had a little base on it. It was really small. And he made a label and it said world's best sister. Oh, what a <laughs> good big brother. And really, you know, I look back on the trajectory of that relationship and, you know, all of my siblings, I just adore. I am, um, and, but I, I the, the, my relationship with my brother was always kind of mysterious. And when my parents got sick and he moved um, back into town to help out, we really got very, very close. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for that. Talk about gratitude. Yeah. Nothing like death to bring siblings together. <laughs> sorry yeah i have uh, seven of them yeah two brothers one is past five sisters you know enough to say i have a sibling for every event in my life <laughs> whatever's going okay. on i have a perfect sibling to share it with cry it with laugh about it with sometimes a few but um you know my family speaking of gratitude and family we're an unusual family in that there are so many of us. Not only do I have seven brothers and sisters, but we all have kids and now they have kids yeah. and even some of their kids have kids. So like our Christmas party, we have a hall to house us all for the Christmas party. But the unusual thing about my family is 95% of it live in the tri-state area. 85% of it live in New Jersey. Uh -huh. So we um, really have a unique family in that it is so large, but easy for us to get together for family events because everybody lives mm. close to one another. And, you know, in the winters, we don't have so many big events. We used to, when my mom had her house, there wasn't a holiday that went by that everybody didn't wind up at mom's house, uh, mostly because there were so many of us, we didn't get invited <laughs> to other people's houses. But. Now, uh, most of our family events happen in the summer and the spring because we can all fit in the great outdoors. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our Grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. <laughs>